The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with the two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was mine own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. Please be seated. It's good to be here after sitting on the road for 45 minutes. <laughs> We're glad you're here. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> Often when I'm sitting in my car waiting, I like to turn my radio to uh, stations of preachers, local preachers, especially on the drive from here to Los Angeles, when there's nothing you can listen to but whoever's on the radio, which is usually somebody ranting about the end times. I love listening to end time ranting. So when I saw the Herald Camping Signs Judgment Day is near, those billboards everywhere, I tuned right to that station to see what great stuff I could listen to. I love hearing these, watching these movies where there'll be a pile of clothing where somebody is just up and vanished, where you get to hear Kirk Cameron give a testimony. Because there's some, some kind of energy behind these. When I was young, I used to just, I would actually turn these on at night and watch these even when I was young and think, boy, these guys are crazy, but I couldn't stop listening. 
that this is the time of year when we're coming up on the end of the church year and moving into Advent, where the texts all start to focus on the end times or the coming of Jesus. And you'll see it just carry right, right over into Advent as we think of Jesus coming as a, incarnated in the birth. But the problem with a lot of these preachers who really focus on this is they spend a lot of time with the little details and trying to make a logical argument out of a book such as Revelation, which is not logical if you've read it. They try to find little things to look for in this world, little things to just grab onto for the future and to warn people. But what they miss is that this is a book that is written so that you change your attitude in the very present. It's about a kingdom of God that does not match up with what we have on earth, the kingdom we have on earth. It's about the Roman Empire And whoever reads it, to them, it might be a scary thing to read. To us, it should be an assuring thing, a thing that gives us hope in God. Well, today's text from Matthew is another of these texts about what will happen when Jesus is gone. Jesus says he's going on a long journey. And we've had a series of these, and we'll have more next week. And Jesus is talking about these slaves who are given talents. And the problem is, like Revelations and these other texts, we like to take this parable and make something, you know, logical about it. The most common way it's interpreted, and the way it's been interpreted since, say, the 16th and 17th century, is where we get our English word talent from, is ability or a skill we have, like our talented bell players here. The problem with that, though, is What, some people are given more talent that are better talented people, and some people are less, and, you know, if you use those talents, you'll somehow get more of those talents, and you'll be more skilled, and, you know, that one person who all they can do is they can play the ukulele darn well, they didn't, you know, use their skills, so eventually you get their ukulele skill. It doesn't make sense in the story when you really start thinking about all these skills. In the same way, if we take this text literally and try to figure out the logic behind the money in it, the word talent was a weight, was a a measure of gold or silver used in trading, and eventually became more fixed to equal about 15 years of workers' wages, which here is about 1.8 million in Palo Alto. (laughs) If you're given that, that's a big amount of money. So... You know, if we try to go that route, some, some people are just given more because they're, they're more deserving. They're better with money, and some are given less. And if you don't invest your money um, much against the Occupy Wall Street people, the 1% are just going to get richer. And those who have will have more. And those who have nothing, the poor, you know, they didn't deserve it after all. They didn't work hard enough. Let's take that money away. Give it to the rich people. That doesn't work in the gospel either. <laughs> if, if you've read it, you see there's some things against that. But from the patristic period, the early church, all the way through the medieval period, they had an understanding of talents as the word of God, as the gospel, or even just the office of preaching. So that what we are given, some more, maybe some less, is an understanding of the word of God is we're given a message from God. 
So that makes us really rethink how this passage works. Those first two slaves were given, you know, five and, was it three or two? I can't remember. Five and two talents, and they take their talents, and they double it. And how do they double it? They go out and they trade. They go out and invest it in the people around them. They take the word of God into the world and act on it, speak it, and more is grown out of that. But that third slave, he had one talent, and he was afraid of God, so he just buried it in the ground. And I think this is how a lot of Christians understand their faith in some ways, as something you need to protect, as something that you just, you say that yes, you know, you get baptized, and then let's just wait this one out, you know, until the end. And, and, you know, I don't want to invest my time and risk losing anything or being challenged. But when we read the story, we, we, we want to hear what happens to that slave who is given five talents and goes out and loses it all and comes back to God, hey, you gave me this, but sorry, I, you know, I tried and I lost it. I got nothing to give you. What, what do we expect their punishment to be? Worse, the super outer darkness, and they're given an extra set of teeth to gnash around? Or what? how can it be worse than that third slave? The idea in the story is that that third slave, that is the worst thing you can do, is just fear God and bury the word of God. We've got to remember who Jesus is talking to in this story. He's talking to the disciples. And Jesus is on his way to go on a journey, let's say. And Jesus is probably worried about what will happen to the word of God in his absence. What will the disciples do with the word of God? Will they deny him? Will they hide? Will they bury themselves in a closed room with a closed door? I think they will. (laughs) But Jesus is trying to challenge them, to challenge all of us to be willing to invest Look at how those slaves respond in this, in this story. Jesus says, I'm going on a journey. And I doubt that journey was to the store to get a couple things. He'll be right back. This is a journey that's going to take some time. But those first two slaves, even though they know it's a journey, they get up immediately to go and trade. They don't waste a single second. In the same way, when I get assigned a paper in a class the first day, I don't go, I'm going to go to the library right now. I'm going to start working on that paper. And, it, you know, I'm not going to wait till the end of class. We like to save things to the end. We like to keep that end as the focus, just like those preachers who talk about the end times. We like to focus on what will happen and not the importance it has to that exact moment. To be willing to jump up And to embrace this gracious gift. Five talents? That's like, I can't do the math, but like eight million in this money here. I mean, to be given that amount of of a gracious gift, this word of God, it's not ours. If we start to claim it, we'll do things with it. And that is also the problem of the third slave. He's justifying his own actions. He's creating his own sense of security by burying it in the ground. 
And that is denying the giver, the giver who we're supposed to trust in, whose security outweighs whatever security we have in this world. And that's why in Thessalonians we hear Paul talking about the peace and security of the Romans that will be destroyed at the end. Because that is not a true peace and security. It's false. The Thessalonian text talks about being awake because the end will come like a thief in a night. Of being children of the day, not children of the night. I think often we act as Christians like we would go into those baptismal waters. We will wade into them with gusto. But like a cold day in warm water, you're like, you know what? It feels pretty good in here. I'm just going to stay in the baptismal waters. I don't want to go out in the world and do anything. It's hard to take that step, that immediate action as a church. For me, I find all kinds of reasons to not take that immediate action. For me, school and homework was always an excuse for me not to go to worship or not to be involved in the church in some way. I had things to do, and this was important. Once I got done with the schooling, I would devote more time to the church, but I had to do this first. With money, it's the same way. I've got to pay these bills first. I've got to do all this, and then we'll see where we stand at the end, and then, you know, I'll see where I, what I can do for the church. The church always wants to come at the end with a focus. We, we have a hard time understanding the graciousness of that gift and acting on it as children of the day, pretending we do live in that time. Not as children of the day for a second, I'm going to take a nap and then wake up at the end. So I challenge you this week to think about ways that you could rethink your priorities, rethink your actions at school, at work, to focus on some little way of telling the good news of God of being willing to invest your talents in the people where it will gain interest and increase through the work of the Spirit. Go forth and be brave because it is a risk. You can't be patient. You have to be Christianly impatient with the hope in the kingdom. Amen.